Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Adam Hall's chess match of continental intrigue. Queen in danger. Starring Juliette Mills. Robert Brown. And Marie Matheson. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by State Farm Insurance and Beechnut Chewing Tobacco. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. There are detectives and there are detectives. And then there's Hugo Bishop, connoisseur of crime. Item, maniac murder at large. Mervyn Spate, convicted killer, has escaped from Broadmoor Asylum for the criminally insane. The preceding news brief was brought to Hugo Bishop's attention by his bird-like secretary and confidant, Vera Gorringe. That and the plight of Gloria Del Rey, renowned beauty editor of Venus Magazine. In private life, she is Thelma Tasman common-law wife of industrial engineer Victor Tasman, who is currently away on business. Her employer, publishing mogul Maurice Gerald, too, is out of town, leaving this woman of many names alone in London and terrified by her own identity. The fact is, she has still another name. Spate. Mrs. Mervyn Spate. Queen in danger will continue in a moment. Did you say God? Well, I know him by everything you say and do. Did you say God? Well, I've seen him every time I look at you. Simply, joyfully, sunrise, cello sounds, the face of a child. Our song is saying, God touches you with his love. Pass it on. This message is brought to you by Religion in American Life in cooperation with this station. First of the week's fashion shows I was scheduled to cover. I was alone, except for the jostling crowd around me, dividing their attention between the show about to begin in the main salon and the table bar set up here in the anteroom. Hello, beautiful. Rex. You sound glad to see me. I am. Built for the soccer field as you are, you can probably manage to make your way through this mob to get me a sherry. Any little service I can render, though. 
Be right back. Rex Willison was London's favorite fashion photographer. He was also a rat, a rake, a roué. I wouldn't rely on him for my life any more than I would thin ice. But he was big, with magnificent shoulders and a cheerful grin, and just the sort of company I needed at the moment. Here you go, love. Thank you, Rex. That's just what I needed. Oh, for a moment, I relished the thought that I was just what you needed. You are, but not quite in the way you're thinking. What's wrong, beautiful? You look a bit down under. Victor's gone away on business for a week. Yeah. I wonder if I'll ever meet a girl who'll be miserable when I leave her for a week. You wouldn't be interested in one like that. You're right there, love. Oh, shall we? Looks like post time for the show horses. Nice. Music. And on the show. Number one. A toy suit dangerous in Mediterranean blue by Jacques Dupois. Note the loose three-quarter length sleeves designed for coolness on all occasions. And the softly draped neckline, eternally feminine. Neat little filly, Red, and pretty footwork. I feel Rex's solid masculine presence beside me. And somehow I'm safe. Safe for now. Shoes made beautifully to match by Norman Lane. And the mischievous little hat by Michaelson. Later tonight, if I feel really afraid, I can telephone Victor. Just the sound of his voice over the phone will comfort me. Or I can spend the evening with Rex. He'll dine me if I ask him and I could deal with the inference he'd draw from it later. For that matter, I needn't stay at my place at all this week. I could rent a room at some small hotel while Victor was away. Somewhere across the city, far away from the flat where Mervyn would never find me. Rex is flashing me his best grin. And I can manage a smile back. I needn't really be afraid. Of that, I'm convinced. Still, I am afraid. I am. The Tasman flat, where Thelma Spate lived out her new alliance with Victor Tasman, was round the corner from Queen Street in Thames Gardens. When I walked by there to take a look, I found my Scotland Yard confederate, Freddie Frisnay, checking with his man on the job. No sign of Spate or Mrs. Either up to now. You going to talk to her when she shows? No. Why not? Well, she could be ready to aid and abet him, you know. Uh, not as I see his reason it out, Freddie. She goes abroad after the trial and comes back with a man who's her new husband, except for that little detail of the ceremony. Doesn't sound to me like she's ready to give a spade a hand. More likely she's worried what he's ready to give her. Well, we can keep just as good a watch on her without knocking on her door. And she hasn't knocked on yours yet. What do you mean? She hasn't asked for any police protection. No, which shoots your theory. Spade got himself out of Broadmoor for some reason. If he found out his wife was living with another man, seems a good one to me, and I'm sane. You wouldn't care to submit to a test of that fact, would you? <laughs> Freddy, my boy. As a matter of fact, I've just gotten a sudden crazy idea. Do you want to share it? Well, uh, not till I see if it works. Just have to make a quick call to be sure my little sparrow is home on the nest. Hello? Corey? Yes? 
Did you send it? Yes, it's there by now. Do you mind staying in case there's a call? I wouldn't miss it. This was my case to begin with, you know. Uh, I know. But I gather it's caught your interest. Mm, a bit. At any rate, I've just gotten a notion, and it might keep me most of the night. Dangerous, Mr. Bishop? Uh, yes. A slight risk of varicose veins. Ta-ta, Auntie. As it turned out, I had to go back to my own flat. Rex, it seemed, engaged a sylph-like model for the evening's recreation. So, I took a taxi home to face my fear alone. What was my fear, exactly? It seemed I also had to name it. Mervyn had learned about Victor and me. He had managed to escape from Broadmoor for one reason, to kill me. Strangle me with that same hideous strength that had snuffed out the life of the woman on the bomb site in Ludgate Hill. But it wasn't the man I feared, or even death. It was the madness. The fear of encountering a deranged mind. And if that wasn't enough, I got into it with the cabbie, and he absolutely refused to take me to my door. He left me at the corner. the tobacco you chew. Seems like a man's world just isn't the same anymore, but some things you can still trust, like beech nut chewing tobacco. Beech nut just keeps on getting better. Beech nut's a lot moister these days, with more taste, less stems. Today's beech nut, fresher, longer-lasting flavor. You ought to try it. Girls in bars, girls in pants, a man just don't stand a chance, but there's still ways to show them who's who. Treat your dogs with respect, you keep your traps oiled and checked. Beach nuts, the tobacco to chew. We'll return to our story in a moment. Here's a tip from your Better Business Bureau. A household move is always a difficult undertaking, but it can be particularly unpleasant during the summer. Pickups and deliveries are more likely to be delayed then because the demand on moving companies is at a peak. One way to minimize such problems and save a substantial amount of money, too, is to move yourself. However, there are a few things to think about before you go out and rent a truck or trailer. Are you and your helpers physically up to carrying your heaviest furniture in and out of houses? If you need a large trailer, is your car up to towing it? Rental trailers are cheaper than trucks, but less advisable for long hauls with heavy loads. You should also take into consideration the additional wear and tear on your car and allow for greatly reduced gas mileage. Unless a driver is accustomed to pulling a camp trailer, hauling a load of furniture may present problems, especially in parking. Sure, you want to save money, but be sure you know what it means to do it yourself. A consumer tip from your Better Business Bureau. As I turned up the steps to the entrance of the flat, I became acutely aware of the presence of a man in the shadows of the doorway across the street. The flesh at the nape of my neck falls. I quickened my step, hurried inside and closed the outer door. 
A moment later, I was inside my apartment, flattened against the door in the dark, frightened of what I might see if I turned on the light. Then the toe of my shoe touched something on the floor and I reached for the light switch. In the glow of the ceiling lamp, I saw the envelope, mute and white against the royal blue of the carpet. Three words were written boldly across the front of it. Mrs. Victor Tasman. A threatening note from Mervyn. That was all I could think of, although the handwriting on the envelope was unfamiliar. I slipped the envelope open with my finger and took out the note. It was brief. All it said was, If you need help, telephone CAR 2330. Ask for Bishop. The flower grew against the sky, black-petaled, with a stem as thick as a tornado's rope. From where I viewed it in my cramped position against the broken wall. Somewhere here, among the rubble and the creeping tapestry of weeds, Joanna Martin had been found with the life throttled from her body and her blood congealed on a slab of stone that her skull had split against. And they had found Spate, too, lying in the half-choked cellar below the woman's body, still unconscious from his crashing fall. Twice since I'd come, the monotony of waiting and the strain of cramped leg muscles had nearly caused me to give up. I knew that my chances of success were worse than poor. But then, the thought would repeat itself in my mind. The thought that had brought me here to this infamous bomb site, Luckett Hill. It was a tide old saw, but nonetheless true. Often, a murderer did return to the scene of his crime. Is that you? Thelma! Uh, what's wrong? Nothing, darling. I, I'm sorry it's so late. It's only twelve. You sound, uh, odd. What is it? No, Victor. Everything is all right. I just wanted to hear your voice and say goodnight. I'm glad. Actually, I, I meant to phone you, but uh, I've been talking my head off steadily for hours, trying to fix a deal. Any luck, darling? Uh, not really sure. But uh, never mind about business. I miss you, my love. I caught myself only half listening. My eyes were focused on the door to the flat, and I was imagining Mervyn walking up to it, his hand on the knob, his brute strength forcing it open. Darling? I miss you too, Victor. Terribly. There is something wrong. I'm lonely for you, that's all. Please don't be away any longer than you have to. You know, I realize... Your three minutes are up. Operator, this is a private call. I'm sorry. You booked three minutes. Shall I extend it? Yes. No. Good night, Victor. Hurry back. I'll telephone you in the morning, darling. I get a good night's sleep. Victor, I'm... I found myself staring at the door. I don't know how long I sat there. I was not aware when my mind crossed the border dividing reason from obsession, from control to submission, plunging me into a wilderness of terror. It was no longer possible for me to believe that Mervyn would not come, or when he came, that he could not get in. I stared at the door and saw the knob turn, the door open, and Mervyn standing there, 
his eyes bright with unreason, his shabby figure slack, his hands hanging loose until he lifted them and came toward me. Perhaps mute stones are infused with memory, like an unseen stain. Or else I was only diverting myself from the boredom of my vigil. In any event, I found my mind absorbed with the images of that night two years ago, when Joanna Martin was slain. I saw the movement of her dress as she fled across the weed-strewn masonry, her stricken face as she turned back toward the man who picked his way through the rubble, moving to her with strong arms outstretched, eyes glinting with madness. The fierce look of fingers upon flesh, the violent squeezing out of the last vital breath of air. There, poor girl. Poor unfortunate madman. The vigil had made me morbid. The stones against my back had left me cold. And again I thought of giving up, leaving this place to its own brooding memories. I moved to ease the cramp in my legs and lifted my face to where the stars roofed the jagged gap between the broken walls. And there he was. A dark, hulking shape against the night sky, staring down at me with eyes void of all expression. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, it was Mervyn Spate. We're number one We're the largest company And uh, you don't get to be the largest company Unless you're doing a little extra for people Agent Bill Rich of Logan, Utah Explains why State Farm Mutual Is the world's largest car insurer This is what the consumer feels And you know that If the consumer feels State Farm Is number one It's got to be on two things Service and price and if you're not uh, competitive in both of these areas and do the job, uh, the customer is not going to rate them where they have. We're number one. We only got there because we were most competitive or as competitive as anyone and because we're there to serve. Service and price. That's what car insurance value is all about. And there are two good reasons to see your nearby State Farm agent now. Like a good Zero Hour continues after this. Ladies and gentlemen, Barbara Streisand. Children. Mentally retarded children. There are so many causes of mental retardation. Some we know, some we don't. I can't say to you if you do this or if you do that, you won't have a retarded child. But through research, we hope one day to be able to say that. In the meantime, there's the help we can give to those already born mentally retarded. Because the retarded can be helped. But it takes a lot of money. If you'd like to cut the odds a bit in favor of the next mother and father who will bring a child into this uncertain world, whether it's your child, a grandchild, or the child of a friend, support the work of your local association of the National Association for Retarded Children. Cast a little bread upon the waters. I remembered Gory's question on the telephone. 
dangerous, Mr. Bishop. And now it was. I had crouched against this wall for more than two hours. My legs and back were cramped. My position alone had me at a disadvantage. Spade was standing almost directly over me. And he had already murdered once. He had little to lose by killing again. Who are you? The name is Bishop. Police detective? No. What are you doing here? I was waiting. Waiting for you. You knew I would come here. No. But I thought it was possible. This waste of bricks has been the most important place in your whole life. If you're not a policeman, what is your interest in me? Humanity interests me. You want to observe the lunatic mind at work. You think I'm mad. But I'm not. What's it like for you inside Broadmoor? I have smokes, if that's what you're wondering. I'm on the block for privileged patients now. I, I can even shave with a razor. <laughs> But you're still locked up. You can never see farther than the trees. Even when you know and remember and think about everything that's outside, all the all the people and things you used to know and love. How do you spend your time in there? They let me have paper and pencil. I make sketches. Spate abruptly tossed the small pad of paper down to me. I leaped through it. They were all sketches of a man's face. A face expressing violent hate and fear. The fine drawn lines of the eyes and mouth conveyed a strain that transformed it into a face of abstract evil. I wondered if Spate meant it as a self-portrait. Do you know that face? It's the face of madness. Why do you spend all your time sketching only that? I don't want to forget it. And it's not meant as a self-portrait. I told you I'm not mad. Why did you break out of Broadmoor, Spade? Because you wanted to see beyond the trees. Give me back the sketches. Oh, here you are, Spade. You still think I'm mad? He turned away then. And in a moment, his dark, brooding form was no longer silhouetted against the sky. If... if I tried... I might follow and overpower him from behind. Or I could notify Freddy, the yard, his whereabouts. I did neither. At this point, I chose to let Spade go free. I don't know when the phone stopped ringing or when I stopped screaming. I was still sitting by the phone, staring at the door, paralyzed by fear when suddenly... It's Bridget, Mrs. Tassel. Let me in. 
It's all right, Mrs. Tasman. I'm here to help you. But how did you know you I needed... You called my number. You talked to my associate, Mrs. Gorringe. I don't remember. She told me you were very upset, very frightened. I thought perhaps Spade had come here. I thought he had. I must have only imagined it. Yes. Fear can play strange tricks. I must have remembered your note. Uh, yes. That was why I sent it. But I don't understand. Who are you? Why would you want to help me? I... I want to help people in trouble for the opportunity it gives me of seeing life through other people's minds. You take a morbid interest in personal tragedy? Yes, interest. Morbid, no. Academic and constructive, I suppose. But two pins, you'd throw me out now that I've told you how I tick. I think you're a strange man, Mr. Bishop, but I'm grateful for your offer of help for whatever your reason. When I called your number, I was in a state of shock. The mere ringing of my phone had sent me into hysterics. You thought it was your husband, that is, Mervyn Spade. It's true, you've never divorced Spade. Yes. Somehow I couldn't. After he was sent away to the asylum, it seemed he needed me more than when we were together. Well, I doubt it was Spade calling you tonight. Would have been about the time I was with him. You've seen Mervyn? I waited on the barn site in Luggett Hill... He came there as I thought he might. How was he? I mean, how did he act? As you would expect a hunted man to act. Did he say anything? He insisted he wasn't insane. He kept insisting that all through the trial. Well, criminals are always insisting they're innocent. Did he say anything else? Well, I asked him why he had broken out of Broadmoor. But he... He didn't answer. I can tell you why, Mr. Bishop. There can be only one reason to kill me. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. What is a Harrier? It isn't a helicopter, but it could land in your backyard. Harrier. It isn't a conventional jet, but it can match the speed of sound. It's a revolution in aviation, and the Marines are looking for good men to fly it. Carrier, Phantom, Skyhawk, Cobra, Marine Corps. If you're a college man thinking of aviation, think Marine Corps and talk to the Marine officer who visits your school. The program is PLC Air, and there's no campus training. A few good men can even get three civilian flying lessons while they're still in college. The Marines are looking for a few good men who want to fly the Harrier, Huey, Intruder, Bronco, and the Marine Corps. open up. It's me, Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of all France, much of the civilized world, and Louisiana if the deal falls through. Oui, Pierre, I didn't close it. Napoleon must not find you here. Come in now, Pete. Ah, Josephine, I had to see you. Napoleon, my dearest heart. What are you doing here? I thought you were at Waterloo. I was, but it ended early. What is that? I smell cigarette smoke. You know I hate you to smoke. I didn't. I don't. I mean, I, I started again. Aha! The smoke coming from that closet. Come! 
come out of there, you scoundrel, and on guard. What do you mean, Dale? To pick up the dry cleaning? Take that, you filthy escargot. This world history lesson was brought to you by your American Cancer Society, which says smoking can be injurious to your health. Touché! <laughs> In more ways than one. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, Queen in Danger. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. You have been listening to The Zero Hour. A presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes. And listen here to the Zero Hour. Mutual, your news and sports radio network. Hindi cinema ka subse bada blockbuster, the market arhoga entertainment. Jab Karan Johar, Aishman Khurana, or Manish Paul host Karenge, Film Fair Kishandara, Film Fair Kim Manchpar Honge, Ranbir Kapoor, Karina Kapoor Khan, Karthik Aryan, Varun Dhawan, Janvi Kapoor, or Sara Ali Khan Ke electrifying performances. To Hojayitayar for Hindi cinema's biggest celebration. Watch the 69th Hyundai Film Fair Awards 2024 with Gujarat Tourism on Sunday, 18th February, 9 pm, only on ZT.